the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to cover the day's headlines, but we're also going to take a look at the lighter side of the news. So stick around for that. And we're going to share this week's Christian Outlook. You're going to hear from a fellow talk show host, Kevin McCullough, and Andrew McCarthy of National Review talk about the trial and verdict of Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin and the death of George Floyd. We'll hear from Dr. Albert Mobler as he looks at the social upheaval we witnessed this last year. And he's going to ask if our system of justice really works. You're not going to want to miss that. Plus, again, fellow talk show host Bob Bernie takes a closer look at Ohio's Down Syndrome Non-Discrimination Act that was recently upheld in court. All of that coming up on today's program, The Georgine Rice Show, Friday edition. James Blend is producing today's program, Clark Hilton Engineering, and Dan Rice has given up the use of his office for the sake of the cause. Well, Governor Brown held a briefing earlier today on COVID-19 vaccines. She said COVID cases are surging across the state, and the Centers for Disease Control, or CDC, is investigating after an Oregon woman died of a rare blood clot within two weeks of receiving the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. They're looking into whether or not there's a connection. Well, the governor spoke about the state's ongoing response to COVID-19 during a briefing earlier this morning. The governor will uh, was joined, rather, with by representatives of the Oregon Health Authority, Oregon Health and Science University, and the Oregon Latino Health Coalition. 23 of Oregon's 36 counties have moved into the high-risk level as of today. And on Thursday, OHF's, uh, OHA rather, Director Patrick Allen told state lawmakers that Oregon is the fourth highest state in the country for the um, rate of growth in cases over the past two weeks. Well, the state's weekly report for April 12th through the 18th announced 4,742 new COVID cases during that week. That's a 27% jump over the previous week and the fourth week in a row in which COVID cases increased by 20% or more. Now, some are suggesting this looks like November. Well, Oregon counties will move back into the extreme risk category, the same um, indoor dining uh, that rather bans indoor dining at restaurants, significantly reduces the number of people who can be inside a gym or outdoor entertainment space. Oregon continues to respond to the pause of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine after rare blood clots were discovered in several women, uh, six, in fact, in the U.S. after getting the vaccine. Uh, yesterday, OHA reported that a um, an Oregon woman developed the same type of rare blood clot and died within two weeks of receiving the the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. They're um, uh, along with the uh, other agencies are now investigating to determine if the Oregon woman's death was directly tied to the vaccine. Uh, OHA says that until the investigation is complete, it cannot be concluded whether her death was related to the vaccine or not. 
Well, as I mentioned, as positive COVID-19 cases continue to surge in the state of Oregon, 10 counties are moving into the high-risk category. Now, that new risk-level assignment for counties in Oregon is going to be in effect from today through the 6th of May. There are 23 counties at the high-risk level, three at moderate risk, and 10 at the lower risk. Uh, Risk categories correspond with health and safety measures. Additionally, 11 of the 23 high-risk counties qualify to be at extreme risk. However, because the statewide hospitalization uh, criteria for extreme risk have not been met, the counties will remain at high risk. That could change over the next several days. Well, case counts and hospitalizations are increasing in Oregon once again, which calls for increased safety measures for businesses and activities. Washington County will join its metro neighbors, Multnomah and Clackamas, uh, in the high-risk category today. Tri-County uh, lead health officer Dr. Jennifer Vine says cases continue to trend upward in the region, and they don't quite know why that's the case. What's causing the trend is hard to pinpoint, according to Vines, but there are a few contributors. We're seeing more spread among younger people, and that makes sense since we protected our older uh, group with vaccines as a priority. It makes sense that the virus would find its way into younger people and spread there. Uh, you can now um, find eligibility among Oregonians 16 and older. Mine said we have to in play some variants. The most common one is the California variant, which is about 20% more contagious. We do have some of the others, like the United Kingdom and the P1 from Brazil. Those, for now, are a minority of the variants, but they're here and they're more contagious. Again, in the lower risk category, there are 10 counties in Oregon, moderate risk three, and among the 23 in the high risk category in Oregon, Clackamas, Multnomah, and Washington County, which moved from moderate to high risk. Well, taking a look at national news, the Ohio police officer in the Mackay Bryant shooting used the best judgment, a neighbor says, according to a video that he says doesn't lie. Well, the Columbus, Ohio police officer who fatally shot a teenager on Tuesday reacted with what he thought was the best judgment to prevent the death of another teenager being threatened by Micaiah. And a neighbor whose surveillance camera captured the video of the incident agreed on Thursday. Well, Donovan Brinson shared his views in an exclusive interview after reviewing the footage. Brinson did not witness the incident himself, but reviewed the surveillance footage, footage rather, recorded from his home, which is located across the street from where the shooting took place. The video doesn't lie, he says. The police officer did what he thought was best, uh, given that he had only seconds to react. Well, others will determine whether or not that is the case uh, as he is on uh, leave and the details are being reviewed. President Biden's open border policies have agents burned out, according to the Department of Homeland Security, a whistleblower speaking to Fox News. That whistleblower painted a grim picture of conditions on the U.S.-Mexico border in an exclusive Hannity interview with Fox News contributor and investigative reporter Sarah Carter. Carter explained that border officials are growing increasingly frustrated with dangerous conditions and negligence inside migrant processing centers, and they're desperate for Washington authorities to step in. How frustrated are DHS officials, federal law enforcement officers working along the border? What are you hearing? What's the feeling, Carter asked during that interview. People are just very burned out, and there's not a lot of optimism that it's going to get better anytime soon, responded the unidentified DHS official, who asked her remain anonymous 
for fear of retaliation. The official said he is frustrated with the Biden administration's open border policies because I think the policies were implemented irresponsibly and I think they do not have any sense of realism. Meanwhile, in other developments, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris has gone 30 days without a news conference since being tapped for her role in the border crisis. Former Vice President uh, Pence has hit Dems over the border crisis, touting Donald Trump's success stemming the illegal immigration. And on the border crisis, Senator Cornyn and Sanima, Senators Cornyn and Sanima, I should say, plan to introduce a bipartisan bill targeting the migrant surge. Well, the New York Times columnist has claimed rampaging mobs that looted cities were GOP make-believe. Apparently, they didn't actually happen. Well, New York Times columnist Paul Krugman suggested Thursday that riots that have plagued many U.S. cities over the past year were a figment of Republicans' imagination. Krugman knocked the GOP on Twitter for being concerned only about illegal immigration and the deficit in comparison to the Democrats, who, according to a Pew study, are overwhelmingly concerned about gun violence, racism, the coronavirus, climate change, affordable health care and economic inequality. You might think that it would be hard to obsess over the deficit uh, when it was actually Trump who blew the deficit up to zero complaints from his party, Krugman tweeted. But that would be assuming that our voters, referring to Republicans, know about that or would even be willing to hear it. So apparently the Neanderthals in the Republican Party have no clue. In reality, given that GOP supporters believe that rampaging mobs buried and looted major cities, somehow without people actually living in those cities, noticing, getting them to see facts about something as abstract as the deficit is a hopeless cause, Krugman added. In other developments, not surprisingly, the New York Times ignored the 18 deaths and nearly $2 billion in damage when bashing GOP bills targeting rioters. President Biden has done the same or had done the same days earlier. Well, the FBI puts law enforcement nationwide on notice about the increase in crime, urging them to remain vigilant. And New York police cleared an encampment, encampment rather, after an earlier clash, eight were arrested in that Melee. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments and later this hour, a look at the lighter side of the news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Friday edition of The Georgine Rice Show. Next couple of segments, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. And in the second hour, we'll take a listen to the Christian Outlook. Well, activists are allegedly refusing to leave George Floyd Square after the Chauvin verdict, calling for demands to be met. Well, Vice President Kamala Harris's trip to New Hampshire spank, sparked rather 2024 White House speculation. It's only April of 2021, but I guess you can't start too early in politics. Well, the latest from uh, uh, the business world, Tesla raised prices on its Mode 3 and Mode Y again, and Republicans are questioning the U.S. Postal Service over an uh, amorphous intelligence collecting operation. The IRS has sent another batch of $1,400 stimulus checks to 2 million Americans, and Elon Musk has launched a $100 million XPRIZE carbon removal. Well, House Democrats voted to grant D.C. statehood for the obvious reason that they seek to add two more senators to their ranks. 
Though it's unlikely to get past a filibuster in the Senate, the story notes Zach Smith, a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, argued before Congress last month that D.C. status can only be changed through a constitutional amendment since its creation and purpose provisions are enumerated in Article I of the Constitution. He claimed that the framers of the Constitution intended this to be a federal district outside the jurisdiction of any one state. He predicted that lawsuits and litigation would follow a D.C. statehood bill passing in Congress. Every legislative act of this new state would be called into question. Things would be in a state of flux for years, Smith added. Meanwhile, from the Wall Street Journal editorial board, a week after the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee introduced legislation to pack the Supreme Court by adding four new justices, the House is set to vote on a bill to pack the U.S. Senate by adding two new senators. Unlike court packing, the bill granting statehood to Washington, D.C., has majority support among elected Democrats and the official backing of the White House. But the impetus behind the bill uh, behind both measures is the same, to tilt the constitutional playing f- field and to consolidate liberal power. Again, the Wall Street Journal. Spencer Brown said this, rather than prioritizing policies to address the crisis challenge, uh, the crisis challenge rather at our southern border, spiking violent crime, rising fuel and energy prices or aggressive uh, aggression rather uh, uh, that we're seeing across the country. Uh, from China and Russia, uh, the We Know Best Democrats have cleaned another, or rather cleared another hurdle in their latest push to get Washington, D.C. statehood. That quote from Town Hall. Well, Senate Democrats voted down an amendment to stop discrimination against Asians. Not a single Democrat agreed that we should not fund any institution of higher education that discriminates against Asian Americans in uh, recruitment application review or admissions. The the amendment was rejected as the Senate overwhelmingly passed a hate crimes bill to address violence targeting Asian Americans. And stocks tumbled on reports that President uh, Biden wants to double capital gains taxes for the wealthy. The story from the Washington Examiner notes the proposal would nearly double the capital gains tax for wealthy individuals from 20 percent rate. It is now to thirty nine point six percent. Individuals making a million dollars or more could end up paying a federal rate of up to forty three point four percent when an existing Obamacare surtax on investment income is included. The news, while not yet confirmed, caused stocks to drop the most of over a m- in over a month, with the S&P 500 down about 0.92% at close. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed more than 320 points lower, and the Nasdaq was down about 094 Another story notes, before the report hit, major averages were tra- trading higher, buoyed by better-than-expected unemployment data and some positive earnings reports. The president says the U.S. must cut all greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. David Harsini reports that President Joe Biden declared that the United States had a moral imperative to adopt an ambitious goal of cutting greenhouse gas emissions by 50 percent from 2005 level by 2030 and 100 percent by 2050. Such an effort, if we were serious about it, would entail massive destruction of wealth, a surrender of our international trade advantages, the creation of a huge intrusive state-run bureaucracy at home, the the, uh, inhibition of free markets that have helped make the world a cleaner place, and a precipitous drop in the living standards of most citizens, especially the poor.
You can read more on that in National Review. And from the Wall Street Journal, the Biden goal will require the electric grid to be totally rebuilt in 10 years. According to the Natural Resource Defense Council, the U.S. will also have to double its share of carbon-free power to 80 percent from 40 percent today, half of which is now provided by nuclear to have any hope of achieving Mr. Biden's pledge. All coal plants would have to be shut down. And of course, electric vehicles rely on that, as does much of our infrastructure. And natural gas plants would be phased into um, obsolescence. Wind and solar energy would have to increase six to sevenfold. The Obama Clean Power Plan, which the Supreme Court blocked in 2016, looks modest by comparison. It sought to reduce CO2 power emissions by 32 percent. Most homes would also have to be electrified. So if you like your gas stove, you won't be able to um, to keep it. Farmers would also have to accept climate smart agriculture and forestry according to EDF. Again, you can read more on that in the Wall Street Journal. Well, Kansas governor has vetoed a bill to uh, protect women from being forced to uh, compete with men. Democrat Laura Kelly was concerned it would harm the state's business climate, so she chose that over girls. Abigail Shire, writing on Twitter, says, Amazing, a bill in Kansas to keep girls' sports for girls is called divisive by the governor. And political tells reporters they can't use crisis when describing the crisis on the border, even though Biden slipped up and admitted it was, in fact, a crisis. Well, political claims it doesn't fit the direct the uh, dictionary definition of crisis, but a quick look at the dictionary definition reveals that it most certainly does. It doesn't fit the political definition. Virginia Democrats are eliminating accelerated math courses uh, in their equity plan. The classes are now off the table prior to the 11th grade. And progressive employees at Simon & Schuster are demanding the publisher cancel the book with Vice President Pence. But CEO Jonathan Karp rejected their demands, explaining, uh, we come to work each day to publish, not cancel, which is the most extreme decision a publisher can make, and one that runs counter to the very core of our mission to publish a diversity of voices and perspectives. We will, therefore, proceed in our publishing agreement with Vice President Mike Pence, end quote. What a refreshing approach. Senator Tim Scott will give the GOP rebuttal to President Biden's uh, State of the Union address. Uh, We face serious challenges uh, on multiple fronts, but I am as confident as I have ever been in the promise and potential of America, Scott said in a statement. I look forward to having an honest conversation with the American people and sharing Republicans' optimistic vision for expanding opportunity and empowering working families. Well, in government and politics, uh, what attacks and by whom? Well, the Senate passes anti-Asian hate crimes that the House declines. GOP senators are unveiling a $568 billion infrastructure counter offer, but naturally Democrats are unimpressed. In national security, useless U.N. elects women's rights abuser Iran to the Women's Rights Commission. And Chinese Communist Party is being tied to new hack attacks targeting the U.S. government. Not so new after all. The U.K. Parliament wisely declares China's treatment of Uyghurs to be genocide. And Russia has ordered troops to withdraw from the Ukrainian border after a buildup that alarmed the West. Now, who's inciting insurrection? Well, Black Lives Matters has stormed into an Oklahoma capital 
No hue and cry, because I guess it depends on your ideology to determine if insurrection applies. Discrimination. Minneapolis's George Floyd Square has given particular instructions for whites. Apparently, there are a set of rules for one based on your nation of origin and skin color. In health, preliminary data show no safety concerns for pregnant women receiving COVID vaccines. And California's public universities are planning to require COVID-19 vaccinations for the fall. Well, on this day in history, 1789, President-elect George Washington and his wife Martha move into the first executive mansion, the Franklin House, in New York. And 1968, student protesters began occupying buildings on the campus of Columbia University in New York. Police would shut down the protests a week later. 1968, the Methodist Church and the Evangelical United Brothers Church merged to form the United Methodist Church. And in 1971, hundreds of Vietnam veterans uh, approached the, uh, rather opposed to the conflict, protest by tossing their medals and ribbons over a wire fence in front of the U.S. Capitol. 2005, the recently created video uh, sharing web- website YouTube uploads its first clip, Me at the Zoo, which shows YouTube co-founder. Uh, standing in front of an elephant enclosure at the San Diego Zoo. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, the lighter side of the news. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on at least a partial fun Friday afternoon. The first one we've done in quite some time. I've asked James Blend to join me as he often does on Fridays during these couple of segments in which we look at the lighter side of the news. James, how you doing? I, I'm great. Now, how do we do this again? I, I feel <laughs> like I have, have I, this conversation because I do feel a bit rusty. Uh, after having been absent for quite some time. Well, and I feel I feel rusty recording the show. I feel rusty uh, helping with the show. I feel rusty in doing Fun Friday. I, I've forgotten what it's like to have fun on a Friday. That's how long it's been. Friday fun, <laughs> well, it means nothing to me. So it's time to redefine it and have fun. I'm just, I have to say, I am grateful, however, that we are doing it and I'm here to, to do it with you. So I let's, um, let's I have jump in it. with both feet. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's a story I discovered. It's out of Indonesia. You know, you want to follow GPS with confidence, knowing that it's going to take you to where you need to go. But one groom in Indonesia arrived at the wrong address with his wedding party after a GPS mix up. Now, it's rather strange to me that a groom, and I'll tell you more of the story in a moment, would need GPS to show up at his own wedding, you'd think. Um, because it's such an important event, and of course this is Indonesia, it might be a little bit different, that you would know well where the event is and be prepared to get there, you and your uh, entourage. But apparently there was a GPS snafu that almost led the groom to marry the wrong woman in Indonesia. This is earlier this month. The groom, whose identity wasn't disclosed for reasons one can understand, he used Google Maps to get get to his wedding uh, venue in a city in central Java. However, the engaged man wound up at the wrong address, according to local uh, news. Well, instead of arriving at the venue where his wedding was supposed to take place, uh, the groom and his entourage stopped at the house that was uh, highlighted on the location app. Well, unbeknownst to the group, an engagement party was actually being hosted at that house for another couple, complete with the loved ones and photographer present. Now, he sees what looks like a wedding crowd and assumes, well, I must be in the right place even though apparently he doesn't really recognize anyone. Well, the groom's entourage reportedly uh, shook hands with the family. They engaged, or rather exchanged 
offerings. Uh, They took what they thought were their seats. Well, it wasn't clear to the two groups that a mishap had occurred since the groom's guests assumed the attendees who were already there were family members of the bride. Well, meanwhile, the woman's family, she assumed the new arrivals were family members of the groom. Well, the fiancé and his family were actually late for the event, which didn't help either. According to the bride-to-be, she told the local news that she'd been uh, getting her makeup done at the time uh, that her lost groom arrived. So the other half of the wedding party hadn't arrived, which made the whole thing um, more plausible. Well, the fiancé and his family were actually late uh, when the... um, Mistake was finally discovered. The groom and his wedding party promptly exited the home with their offerings in tow. Well, the groom said that the um, shared location point stopped near my house. I told the Indonesian news that sometimes the Internet can shift it uh, and it's not quite so smooth. There were photos and videos of their hilarious exit. Uh, They were shared on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, they were very popular. One clip posted by the uh, uh, the news uh, station uh, had uh, gone viral with more than 35,475 views so far. Well, as for the groom and his family, the uh, newspaper reports that they quickly left to find their correct wedding venue, which was being hosted in another part of a different village. So <laughs> it all, all is well that ends well, but what a, what an ordeal. The guy just wants to get married and apparently was led astray by Google. So make sure you know where you're going and directions to get there you know you, you got to watch out with these gps and gps apps i learned a while ago that uh it's a good idea to keep your gps happy you should take it out for dinner a couple you know a couple times a year or maybe <laughs> a movie uh and no gps is not code for my wife uh i actually mean the app because a couple of years ago my gps app tried to kill me uh-oh what yeah, happened it, it literally tried to kill me it, it, it went on a murderous streak it sent me down a path of potential death um, it was one of those days. Uh, now I travel in into the station using the uh, the the mighty the mighty Sunset Highway, and uh, you know one little one little kerfluffle on a given morning towards the tunnel there, and my day's half ruined already. And uh, it was one of those days with a little bit of snow and ice um, on the roads, and uh, the um, twenty six was all a mess, and so it's thought, hey. We know where there's no traffic. The West Hills. <laughs> so it sends me over the Sylvan Hill down side streets that have not been plowed, that have not been sanded or or salted, um, and really very few cars have gone on the least. And, you know, I'm trying to avoid going down them sideways because, quite frankly, they're barely wide enough for a car to go down single file. And it was that point I realized I need to be nicer to my GPS because I don't <laughs> want to die. I'm not ready. Wow. Well, yeah. they're, it's wonderful technology when it works and it's frustrating when it doesn't. But it really is rather remarkable to consider that you can uh, enter the details of where you'd like to go. And from wherever you happen to be, it's more likely than not going to get you there with a possible exception or two. It's always good to double check. Yes, it is. Well, a Georgia man received 91,515 pennies as his final paycheck, and he cashed it out. But it did take some doing. Uh, Andreas Flatten, he found the uh, gargantuan pile of 
oil-soaked pennies, so they weren't just regular pennies, they'd been soaked in oil on his driveway, courtesy of his former employer. Now, you know there's a story behind that. Well, the Georgia man received his final paycheck from his disgruntled former employee and finally cashed out his huge chunk of coins because he couldn't just take it someplace. They had been oil-soaked and needed to be cleaned before they could be cashed out. Well, Mr. Flatten of Fayetteville, Georgia, he originally found the pile of 91,515 pennies on his driveway in March with a note attached to them that read, well, I can't repeat it. Well, according to interviews given by uh, Flatten to local media, the penny pile was the work of Miles Walker. He's the owner of the AOK Walker Auto Works Body Shop uh, in Peachtree City, Georgia, his former employer. Well, Walker had reportedly denied Flatten his last paycheck and only acquiesced after Flatten contacted the uh, Georgia Department of Labor. Well, Coinstar, known for its coin cashing kiosks, came to Flatten's assistance after his story went viral. The company picked up the heap of oil-soaked coins, which Flatten had stored in a um, wheelbarrow uh, with wheels that had uh, uh, deflated from the staggering weight and gave him $1,000 in cash. He says it was a shock and frustrating to be paid in this manner, and it was an extra burden that the pennies were covered with an oily substance, uh, which was deliberate. I was spending an hour or two a night trying to clean the pennies and probably only cleaned off about $5 worth. Well, the um, owner of the Coinstar, the CEO, I should say, said the company processes approximately 41 billion coins annually. So picking up 91,000 pennies was all in a day's work. Well, Flatten's girlfriend had something to say about the whole ordeal, which wasn't very flattering. But the um, former employer, Mr. Walker, has been accused of creating a hostile work environment by other employees who said he ripped up uh, pay stubs in front of co-workers and demeaned female staff. So this wasn't out of character. But apparently his um, effort to deprive his former employee of his final paycheck failed. And Mr. Uh, Flatten enjoyed his $1,000 final check. Boy, that would be really maddening. And to go through the trouble to come up with 91,500 plus pennies and then soak them in some sort of sticky, oily substance and drop them off in the driveway of your former employee, he had to really be um, upset. You know, it's funny because I thought we had a coin shortage going on still. Uh, well, probably the because these pennies. These yeah, pennies I, we location. now know where 90% of the pennies <laughs> in the world are. I mean, you know, of course, it seems like there's always pennies when you when you don't need them. When you do, then they're nowhere to be found because they're sitting in some dude's driveway. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it, that's that's a low-class move from the employer. It, yeah, you know, there, are, there are other ways of saying, you know, you won't be missed. <laughs> yeah, by the way, he's uh, business. He and his business have been inundated with uh, unfavorable reviews since this story hit the news. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're out of time. I'm listening or you're listening. I'm listening to James, but you're listening to the Georgine Rice show on uh, these two segments where we take a look at the lighter side of the news. Stay with us. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend has joined me, and we're taking a look at the lighter side of the news. Thanks for joining us, James. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's kind of been fun kind of getting back in the saddle again this week. And uh, now that I kind of conclude that with uh, some Friday fun is, uh, you know, uh, it's like pennies from heaven. <laughs> 91,000 of them. Exactly. Plus. 
Well, a Kentucky resident uh, declared herself the winner of a TikTok challenge for the dumbest tattoo. Well, there's a backstory. Her name is Leah Holland. She said she pondered her self-affirmation tattoo for two years before she finally went ahead and got the thing. If only she had waited just a bit longer. While competing in a TikTok challenge for the dumbest tattoo you've ever gotten, she showed off her ill-advised ink, and it was a winner by all accounts. Well, the tattoo that she um, said uh, in a clip was meant to reinforce being true to yourself and real and not pretending to be something you're not. I mean, that was the sentiment behind it. Well, one can understand why one would want to express that if you're inclined to get a tattoo. But in the times ahead, it would mean something entirely different. Well, the 25-year-old of Georgetown, Kentucky, said she got the tattoo on the 4th of March, 2020. Now, the 4th of March is in pretty close proximity to the declaration of a global pandemic. Two, day, two, uh, yeah, two days later, she announced its, uh, or rather Kentucky announced its first case of COVID-19. The rest is pandemic history. Well, she pulled up her sleeve to reveal and read the tattoo, which simply said, courageously and radically refuse to wear a mask. <laughs> well, for the record, Holland wrote on her post, I'm not anti-mask, I promise, at least the kind we're being forced to wear now. Well, Holland told the local news that she shared her unfortunate ink because I just kind of wanted people to laugh with me because I think it's funny now, too. I'm not anti-mask, she says, but her tattoo says otherwise. Courageously and radically refuse to wear a mask. Now, I wouldn't advise her to move to Oregon, where there's uh, some contemplation of wearing masks for the rest of our natural lives, according to the governor, who, by the way, has heard from thousands of Oregonians who say, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't going to happen. James? You know, it's one of those things that, uh, for me, I am, you know, okay with wearing the mask where I have to because I'm, you know, I I don't, I don't want to cause a kerfluffle. I don't particularly care for them. I don't particularly do well with them. My breathing is not what I would call optimal with it. Uh, but, uh, I, I think that the the safest thing I can say is I cannot ready, ready, I cannot wait to be done with them. So the thought of permanency, yeah, no. Yeah, I'll be moving to Washington if that's the case. What do you think about the tattoo? Courageously and radically refuse to wear a mask. I mean, it is funny now, <laughs> but you can see why she's a bit apprehensive about having done it then. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the you know, it. Uh, what will it mean? What does it mean over time once, you know, this becomes a more distant memory? Um, mask, people, you're not into Halloween, What's going on? You know, so there's a lot of different ways you could take it in the future, but uh, it's sort of one of those things uh, where, uh, you know, someone gets that Super Bowl championship tattoo before the Super Bowl. And, you know, (laughs) it's on that long list of things you're likely to regret. Yeah. Yeah, probably so. Well, speaking of ill-advised tattoos, how far would you go for a year of free food? Well, apparently there's a California-based burger chain. They've pledged to serve a select number of superfans their signature sandwich for a year if they get a permanent tattoo for the restaurant's milestone anniversary. Really? Uh, Farmer Boys operates nearly 100 locations in California, Arizona, and Nevada. They serve farm-fresh food in a fast, casual setting. 
according to their webpage. In celebration of their 40th anniversary this year, the chain is uh, partnered with two tattoo shops to ink the most dedicated customers with some branded body art in exchange for a year of free burgers. May 21st, or rather through May 21st, Farmer Boys fans over age 18 can sign up for a free tat, choosing from one of three color designs, measuring two by two. Uh, from there, an undisclosed number of entrants, undisclosed, will be chosen for ink at the Honorable Society of West Hollywood and Rock and Ink Tattoo in Las Vegas. After that, the superfans can store a free burger a week for 52 weeks, according to the promotion rules. Now, is it worth permanently inking oneself, enduring the pain of it, and I suppose you'd have to pay for it, uh, to have a possible year of hamburgers, one per week at a at a fast food chain that you happen to like. Ill-advised, regrettable, one wonders, what will this mean some years from now? And by the way, I want to compliment your optimism, James, in which you said years from now, looking back on that uh, tattoo about refusing to wear a mask, people will wonder what it means. I appreciate that optimism and hope you're absolutely right. What do you I think? I hope so, too. I hope so, too. I mean, you know, who knows how we're going to remember this bizarre era. I, I just don't know. It will be interesting to see. Yeah. Well, a real well, we need ID... to get in the past before we can really figure it out. <laughs> exactly. We need to re- just... we need to pass the bill before we can read it. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's just hope we're moving in that direction, even here in Oregon. Well, a real ID compliant driver's license costs about $35 in the state of California. And when Leslie Pilgrim visited her local DMV, she never imagined that would uh, uh, they would send her uh, an ID photo with her wearing a face mask. Now, she wasn't in Oregon. She was in California. Well, a Californian resident who hails from Huntington Beach told the local media that she had waited for the DMV employee behind the uh, camera to let her know when it was right time for her to take off her mask for the, so the picture could be taken. When I got up there, I got to the front of the line. I didn't take it off. I got in the front of the backdrop to take my picture. I still didn't take it off. Uh, nobody said anything. And then the next thing that anybody said to her was look into the camera. And then she heard a click and then she realized she hadn't uh, that the person had taken the picture with a mask on. The employee who snapped the photo realized their mistake and took another one uh, with Pilgrim's mask removed. However, several days later, uh, the DMV visitor received her real ID driver's license in the mail But little did she know she wouldn't be uh, greeted with her mask-free portrait. Instead, Pilgrim saw her new $35 license, um, showed her um, wearing a gray mask that takes up most of her uh, face, of course, the bottom half. Only her eyes, eyebrows, and forehead were visible, aside from her hair and her neck. I was uh, raised to see the humor in everything, so to me, at the end of the day, this was funny. Uh, the California Department of Motor Vehicles says this is the first time an incident such as this has happened. So who knows? Her license might be worth something in the days ahead. Again, assuming we no longer are called on to wear masks in the future. Customers are asked to remove their face covering when the photo is taken. In this instance, there was an oversight. The customer should have been asked to uh, lower her uh, mask for the photo, which, by the way, she was. Apparently, two pictures were taken. This is the only instance of a uh, licensed photo with a face mask reported to the DMV by a customer. They're investigating how this may have happened, although the customer 
told him how it happened, and was reminded staff of proper procedures. Uh, the DMV uh, contacted the customer. An appointment has been scheduled for a new photo to be taken. Now, real IDs, you might recall, will become an identification requirement for people who want to enter um, federal facilities, nuclear power plants, or commercial airplanes at federally uh, regulated airports starting October 1st, according to the Department of Homeland Security. And there's some concern as to whether or not the uh, apparatus is sufficient to get all residents who are eligible for them um, to actually get them in time. I know Oregon has lagged behind as well. So a driver's license with a mask. Uh, for some of us, that's quite an improvement, but I guess it's not going to be very helpful as real ID. Yeah, I, I'm still not figuring out this whole ID thing. I, I, I just want to show my face on the side of a milk carton and be done with it. <laughs> well, who Have knows? you that seen me lately? Do you remember years ago, and I'm not even sure... You were at the station yet, but we did some kind of an advertising campaign in which KPDQ on-air staff were pictured on milk cartons. I, I had one at the time. I don't still have it as far as I can remember, but my face was on a milk carton. I, you know, I think it was shortly before I started at the station because I do remember them. I want <laughs> to say that it, it was, uh, weren't they Alpenrose? Yes. That's what I thought. Uh, oh, I, I miss Alpen Rose. Um, I've, I, that was uh, the, what came into my head as being the, uh, the obvious answer there is we had a very long standing relationship with them. And, uh, yeah, I do remember seeing them. I didn't know any of you then. So I probably, you know, didn't think much of it at the time. But, you know, in, you know, <laughs> casting my mind back, uh, uh, you know, the sad thing is I still haven't found you. <laughs> yeah, and now we don't see each other anymore. Hey, no, we're we out don't. of time. We're going to take a quick break. We've got news and traffic coming at the top of the hour, so stay with us. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.